Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources, so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and then found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and this is Debbie coming to you from South Florida, and honestly, today is a gorgeous March 17th, and I believe it's St. Patrick's Day. I believe it's St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day, and I don't have a wit of green on me. Um, I'm German, Norwegian, and everything, but a little bit of Irish, and my Irish mother-in-law would be turning over saying, oh my gosh, bring out the corned beef. So today, today's a fun day. Um, like I said, it's a beautiful day. I don't know what's up with my friends in Canada. They aren't, aren't able to get on right now, but it is cold in Canada. And I'm really grateful that I'm down here in South Florida. My guest is from South Florida. She's down in Miramar. And it's, I'm sure, beautiful down there. So I would love to welcome my new friend, Nikki Hugh. Nikki, are you there? Thank you so much, Debbie. I'm so excited to be on here. Well, this is fun. Nikki and I have not in, met in person, which is not unusual for most of our guests, especially during this pandemic. However... I was a guest on her show. It's, it was a summit that's coming up called Manifesting Incredible Love. And that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'm really excited to have Nikki talk about that. But, Nikki, I like to start my show off by going back in time and going to your background. I would love to hear about your family, where you grew up, and well, we'll go from there. What are the things that you'd love to do as a child? But where did you grow up? And tell me a little bit about your family. Oh, man. Thank you so much. So I am of Asian descent. I'm Chinese American. But I grew up uh, actually in New York. Um, born in Manhattan, raised in Corona, and then moved down to Florida. Uh, and a little bit of my family history. Traditional um, Asian immigrants who moved here to find better opportunities. So a lot of my childhood really looked like my parents, they worked a lot. Like my mom was a seamstress, my dad was in construction, um, but he also gambled. So once he lost everything, they moved here to Florida to start a new, a new life. And I stayed in New York with my aunt for a year. Um, and then I came down here, um, but as a child, you know, 
they they began in the flea markets and I'm not sure if you're aware of how the flea markets were back in the day they had the swap shop with the circus I was just a tiny kid I would um, I would be like five or six um, while my parents set up their banana boxes and sold their merchandise uh, me and my sister we would we would kind of scurry off and and go upstairs and peek through the railings uh, to watch the circus and yeah my childhood was pretty freeing um, but as we grew older like we we really prioritized working so on the weekends like uh, my parents they I would say they upgraded from flea market to like an actual physical location but we did many things before then we had a restaurant that didn't work um, and then we went into wholesale and retail so they owned a couple of warehouses and every weekend I would work at the warehouses 9 a.m. in the morning until 6 p.m. in the afternoon um, and that was the majority of my childhood I remember I was talking to my husband and um, when I asked him about his childhood, he goes, I didn't have a childhood. I'm like, what are you talking about? He, like you, did a lot of work. And he was he worked at the golf course and he was always caddying. He was always working, always working. His father was in construction also and always working. And then they started a business, always working. And he's got the most incredible work ethic. To the point of I'm... everybody else around you should be doing the same thing, right? So you were working as a child. Did you have any time? I mean, watching the circus, but did you have any hobbies or any? Did you like to read? What did you do in your free time, if you even had free time? Well, I I did a lot of art. So even though I worked, um, I would have my piece of paper and my pen sitting at the cash register, and I would draw comics. And I I was really into like anime at the time. Um, so I would paint, I would draw, and that was my escape outside of outside of work. Like I didn't really have friends, I didn't go out, um, and like you said, like we had an incredible work ethic, and I I enjoyed working. Funny enough, like I enjoyed working, I enjoyed the um, the thrill of. I guess making my parents happy at the time. They were like, oh my God, you're making so much money. Like, you're doing so well. Um, the interactions with the customers. I was very shy at first, but just having the customers say, like, thank you so much for your help. Like, that that made me happy. And I became more and more social after. <laughs> Does that, do you feel like you're a people pleaser? Is that important to you? Definitely. Um, I think in a way I've become accustomed to people pleasing um, because I just didn't I was never taught that saying no was okay um, and I I enjoyed you know like making other people happy seeing that they were satisfied so that that did stick with me how is your relationship with your with your folks when you were little did they did they ever play with you or again again you know I understand the work probably took over a lot of your a lot of your family time was there any downtime where you could just sit and play or listen to stories or things like your grandparents around mm. no actually they were in China um, okay. they were still in China at the time but 
My only downtime, like I would say when I was home, I spent a lot of time on the computers by myself, uh, but my parents weren't, they weren't always there because mm-hmm. they prioritized work a lot. So after work, they would um, be doing chores, running errands, and it would just be me and my sister. How about education when you were little? Was school a priority for you? I enjoyed school mainly because I actually, I remember like younger, I enjoyed school. My teachers were very nice. They made it fun. There was like picnic reading time and that was younger. Um, As I got older, I felt like school was, what was a, was something mandatory. Like I had to do it and I was naturally good at it. So I never had any, like I never disliked school just because I was naturally good at it. And I had this expectation that we were, we were supposed to be, you know, highly educated. And it, it just never fazed me to question. Do you ever feel the pressure of that though? Uh, from school? Yeah. From parents, or, or <laughs> when you said expectation, I'm thinking, oh, I had some of those. Uh, and when I went away to private school, uh, it, it was very difficult because everybody there was at the top of the class, and now you know half half of you weren't going to be. Um, and there was a lot of pressure to excel, and it might have been self-induced or trying to please the parents or the teachers. It's it's interesting to see it, you know, my age now, um, and how I, when my kids were in school, I didn't, I tried not to put the pressure on them, although I wanted them to do well. Uh, it was more, as, you know, what can we do to make you a good student or a better student, or, you know, be more polite and responsible to your teachers rather than get the A, get the A, get the A, because I saw the the pressure of of grades sometimes degraded the the actual learning because you you were graded on tests. You weren't graded on what you were learning. And I was just curious, because especially in the Asian community, and this is a generalization, but I had a lot of friends that were Asian, um, there was a lot of pressure for them to be at the top and disappointment if they didn't do it. Did you ever feel feel that, or were you always at the top? I I would say I was always at the top, but I was never, like, the number one student. I was probably, like a little bit more down there, but my parents didn't care as much. Um, They just voiced that they wanted me to be educated, that they wanted me to be good in school, but they didn't have metrics for what that looked like. And when you said, like, self-induced pressure, I really think it was self-induced pressure. Like, I was surrounded by um, other Asians, too, when I was in high school. Everybody, everybody was in um, AP classes, which was above honors, which was, like, I was like, oh, you know, you're in AP calculus and AP history and AP biology and AP chemistry, and I'm sitting here like I'm really struggling through AP calculus. Like that's the only AP class that I have. <laughs> when you look at you and your sister, how do you, how are your personalities the same and how are they different? The funny thing is, I'm the most rebellious, and I feel like I'm here to kind of break the um, the trauma, like, in my family, um, because we're all, we're, we're all very rebellious towards my mom and how she wants us to be. We do not conform to her whatsoever, 
But for me, I'm the most outwardly, like, rebellious in terms of career-wise. I was just like, I'm not doing what you want me to do. It just, it doesn't fit with what I want to create in my life. And I don't believe um, in certain things where, like, value, uh, money is the most valued uh, asset a person can have or success is the most valued asset that a person can have. I did not believe in that. So let's explore that because I'm sitting here going, oh, I think I might have known that, but I didn't know that. Because you also mentioned something too about your parents and how you had, they had a business and they lost the business or they didn't do well. So if the value is on prosperity and money, how did that affect you as a family when that didn't work? They they moved because they knew there was opportunity. And so failure was not an option for them. Uh, that was the only way that they were going to survive. So my mom, she's very resilient. Like, I will give her that. I will say I got those genes from her because she never gives up. She's so creative. Um, so when the business didn't work, they tried for example, like the flea market, they would have a location in one flea market, and then my father would go to a different location in another flea market. When we expanded into warehousing, the warehouses, we bought up to five locations within the same area, within the same location. And even though we sold the exact same thing, people did not know. So we were our own competition. So she's she's very in, in, um, creative in that sense. And and afterwards, when business dipped um, in the warehousing district, she rented out the interior of the warehouse. So, for example, like if you walked into a Walmart, there's like a there's like a pizza shop or like maybe a nail salon and all these little businesses within the that one big business. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what shifted too. So she saw a vision beyond. She didn't let the the fall. Stop her. It was a bounce. No. Do you feel like you had that capability too? Did you learn that from mom and, and have you put that to work in your life? I would say I got her resilience, but I did not get the creativity because I didn't get the confidence when I was younger mm-hmm. um, because her power was so overshadowing that I just, I was just like, yes, mom, whatever you want, mom. And at some point, it, that people-pleasing kicked in where I had no ability to make my own decisions because I was so terrified of being wrong. I was so terrified of like, this is, you know, I'm not good enough to make my own choices in life. So what was it that you, what was the rebellious point, that defining moment that you just said, I'm doing my own thing and you didn't care? Oh, man corporate when I started corporate. <laughs> so mom didn't want you to go into corporate or what, what, what were her expectations? No, mom wanted me to go into corporate. She, she of course wanted me to get a good job. Like I originally wanted to go to art school and she's like, you're not going to get anything from art school. So I settled for business school. <laughs> and in business school, I, um, I got my first job from one of those clubs. Um, working at a cruise line, the you know, celebrity cruises, as customer service. And I was so excited because that was my first taste of freedom. No expectations of the business on my shoulders. I just got paid. Like I just sat down at my desk and I, I would get paid 
no matter what work I did. Um, and after two years of working there, I after the first year I got promoted to like supervisor, and then I realized that there was a feeling that I could not get the financial freedom that my parents had, even though they say they struggled, even though I experienced the stress firsthand of the expectations of, oh, my God, we need to, you know, make money somehow. I just knew that I saw my mom grow her tiny little business from a swap shop when I was a kid to owning multiple warehouses. And here I was sitting at a desk making $15 an hour and being promoted making $17 an hour. And I was like, this is not the life I want for me. Only one week of vacation, not being able to grow. And so I quit. But I didn't tell anybody. I did not tell my mom for a whole year. She had no idea that I quit my job. <laughs> How did you do that? Were you living at home or were you on your own? I um, lived with my husband. Well, he was my boyfriend at the time. Okay. He was my boyfriend at the time, but I stayed with him and his family. Um, and I would, um, when she called, I would just be like, oh, yeah, hi, Mom, how are you doing? But we would never really talk about work. She's like, how's work? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's good. And she's like, when are you going to get a better job? I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at your picture here, and it's beautiful, and you're smiling. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is the woman behind the smile. You are, you know, you're a young version of me where you just you put up the smile and say, yep, things are fine, and on the other side, maybe not so. Did your mom ever catch on? I confessed to her at the end of the year, and it was so funny. I started my own clothing line. I went through manufacturing. Um, I manufactured my first uh, three, it was like three different sets. I sold them to my friends. I tabled them at uh, like LA Fitness and Orange Theory. And then I hit a plateau. I did not know what to do next. And all of that self-doubt came back up of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe my mom's right. Like, this is really hard. Like, entrepreneurship is really hard. Let me do something that she would respect. And at the end of December, I, so I was like, let me do something my mom would be proud of. Let me sign up for real estate. And so I called her one day and I said, Mom, guess what? I'm no longer working at my uh, customer service job. I'm going to become a real estate agent. And she was just like, oh, that's, that's great, but why, right? Like she was so confused. She was like, but why? And she didn't believe me after I told her because I didn't see opportunity. I wanted to grow bigger, and you always wanted me to be in real estate, didn't you? And she hung up the phone. She called my sister, and, of course, my, my two sisters at the time, they were hiding the secret for me. And they immediately texted me. They were like, Mom just asked me why you quit your job. And she was like, did you tell her? I'm like, what's happening right now? And I was like, yeah, I told her I quit my job. I'm going to go into real estate. And my other sister's the same. She was like, did you tell Mom you quit your job? Because she's calling me right now. And I, was, I just thought at the time, I said, why is it that she didn't trust me from my own mouth that I was quitting real estate. I mean, I was quitting my job to go into real estate. And she had to confirm it with like five other people. What did the girls say? 
I mean, everybody seemed to be shocked that you said something, that you actually spoke up. Yeah. <laughs> Mom's a controlling factor. <laughs> yes. She is. And uh, my sisters had my back all the time. Like, we had each other's back because we already knew that, like, um, you know, my mom, my mom's views were very, she was very set in her ways. Like, she wanted what she wanted and only what she wanted. So any type of freedom we had was, like, keep it between us, right? Like, keep it between us. So they didn't tell her anything. They were like, oh, I don't know. She didn't tell me this. <laughs> so there's a whole family of women behind the smiles. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, I understand this. Um, it just it makes me laugh as we get older. I'm thinking, oh, there's such wasted time when we do things like that. So, uh, I know that you met your your husband when you were you, you were young. You guys met in middle school. Were you with him the whole time, or was it on and off? Because I, I'm sure he's watching all of this, and I'm curious as to what his point of view was and what his uh, suggestions to you were about your mom. Obviously, you said, move in with us, <laughs> get away from them. Um, how did he feel and how did he support you in all of this? He did not like my my mom because my mom didn't like him. <laughs> but it was very innocent, sweet love. Like, we hung out a lot. We went to the movies. We would hang out, like, after school together. Um, and as we got older... As we got older, we can see the dissonance in the family. Like, my my grandma moved here to take care of my younger siblings, um, and she would be very welcoming. She would see his good heart, and she would say, like, oh, you know, come over whenever, um, and we would hang out. But my mom did not see that. She would only see the negative things. His parents are divorced, you know. She's like, he never had a father figure. Um, he's going to divorce you in the future. And um, he's very rebellious as a kid or, like, he would fight with his little brothers. And I'm like, they're middle school. Of course they fight. Like, they're, they're kids. Um, and she would use all of those tactics against against me dating him. She would be like, you can be his friend, but you should date other people. Um <laughs> And he experienced that resistance through me. Um, and I was always told, you know, like, you need to marry somebody who's higher educated, whose parents are together, who whose parents come from good money, whose parents have good money, um, who's two years older than you. And those were my, like, expectations. Like, those were her expectations for me. That's tough to live with, and I know that that happens. Um, and then you, Miss Rebellious, <laughs> said, not for me, right? So how did you and Tony get together, run off, leave mom behind? We kept our relationship hidden from middle school all the way into college. Um, and the only reason she found out was because somebody in China – told her and I was like who in the who in the hell like found out in China like what the heck small world my friend <laughs> it's a small world and she called me one day while I was in school and I was still terrified of her but I was like secretly being rebellious behind her back and I was in school in the library 
And she's like, my knees are going weak, Nikki. I just heard from this distant relative in China that you're dating Tony. And I broke down in tears in the library because I kept the secret hidden for so long. And when she found out her disappointment, that her knees were weak, she said, <laughs> that, that crushed me. Like, I was, I was so sad. Um, but I knew her, her standing, and I knew where I stood. And I was just like, I couldn't say anything. Were you guys able to ever work that out? No, I um, I cut her off in December um, mm. for my own peace and happiness. But, you know, things were never bad. Like, we never fought because I never raised my voice against her. Mm. Um, but I did feel very upset. Um, and to your question of whether or not she accepted him, not till not until the last fighting bit of her, up to my marriage, she made uh, she made my wedding all about her, um, and and my husband really he was really upset because he was like, this is your day, and she's making it about her, and she said she wasn't even going to come to the wedding because I wasn't willing to have it in New York, and I I was like, how how is that relevant to celebrating my happiness in my life and she's like oh because you know people owe me money and if you get married in new york they give you money as a gift and they owe me money because i've given them family money and so i don't see a purpose in coming to your wedding if you're not going to accept the money that you know i've given to these people so i said okay don't come to my wedding but Mm. of course her she's very smart in the way that she handles her business. So she calls his, his biological dad and he's in New York. And she said, he's your only son now because he had a falling out with his other two children. He, she said, he's your only son now. Give him a wonderful wedding. Pay for his wedding in New York. And he calls up and he says, Nikki's mom just called me. You know, I want her to be happy. I want you guys to be a happy family. I want to give you a good start. I'm willing to pay for the wedding in New York. And he looks at me and he says, it's what you want, babe. And I said, and of course, me and my mom tendencies, uh, my mom issues, I said, if it makes her happy, we'll, we'll do one here and we'll do one in New York. But those are the terms. She comes to the one here and then we'll do one in New York next year. And it never happened because she, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just, I wasn't happy. She wasn't happy. Nobody was happy. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going through this again. I'm never going through this again. <laughs> oh, wow. And, you know, love is supposed to make people happy and draw families together, and it, it can be really destructive. And it's interesting that you've turned into a love coach and a healer, emotional healer. So how did you transition into that kind of work from corporate or your um, clothing line, that kind of stuff? How did you move forward into that, given your experiences with a lack of love in some spots with your with your mom? It was really lack of self-love that caused a lot of sabotaging behaviors and like limiting beliefs in my business as well. Um, I discovered during COVID, I discovered 
a group of people here in Florida who were doing virtual calls for meditation. And I was very interested at the time. I wanted to know how to create more inner peace. Those were the first people who showed me what true love, what true community can do. Um, I cried to them. They cried, they cried on the call. And that was my first time seeing anybody, like, being vulnerable. Um, and everybody else was supporting them. Everybody on that phone call was like, you're an amazing person. Like, trust the universe. Trust that everything's happening for you. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? Where has this been my whole life? And I shared my experiences, my trauma, like, and I cried with them for two months straight. You know, I did my emotional healing with them, and that's when I decided I wanted to be a coach. Like, I wanted to provide this experience for other people who were going through the same thing as me. But what really initiated relationship this year um, is my own personal breakdown, like, in my own relationship. Um, so I fell in love with somebody else during the time that I was with my husband. And it was in the spiritual community, we call it a karmic connection. Um, but in practical terms, it's, it was a trauma bond. It was, it was all the unhealed wounds that I had that I was attracted to somebody who would trigger all of my healed wounds. Um, so the things that I valued at the time, um, which was like, I wanted to look good because that's what my mom valued. Um, I wanted to be valued for my success. And that's what the person who came after, like, who came and approached me was like, you know, I want to be in your presence because you're, you're, working at the, you're working out at the gym. You look fantastic. Um, you're starting your own business. Like, he was appreciating all of the things that I wanted to be appreciated for uh, when I was a kid. And I developed, like, an emotional connection to that. Um, but then there were also aspects that were red flags. Like, he did not know how to hold emotional space for me um, when, I, when I became too clingy, when I had attachments, when I was like, why aren't you texting me back on time? Like, why are you talking to other women? And I'm such a novice in relationships because I've only been in one that I had no idea that this is what we call, like, quote-unquote, what a toxic relationship looks like, where it's a back and forth of, like, you know, he cannot commit and um, cannot hold space emotionally, and yet I was the one running back uh, and then deciding that I didn't want to be in a relationship like that. I was like, I don't want to be with somebody who, who doesn't even care about me. And then he would come up come back around and love bomb me, like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry, I made a mistake, like, um, I see your value, I want to do, like, I'm going to be a better person, and all of these false promises that didn't, that never happened. It was just words. It was pretty words. Through that back and forth was the first time I experienced what true heartbreak felt like, because what triggered me was that he hurt my insecurity because I didn't heal my insecurity. When he abandoned or quote-unquote just like left me, ghosted me, it made me feel not good enough again. It made me feel like that little girl, that whatever I did was never good enough. But it also made me realize that I was willing 
to sacrifice like a really really good relationship we never fought like me and my husband we don't fight we just communicate so natural with each other it made me believe that like because i didn't feel that intoxicating emotional pull towards somebody that his love was not enough and i was willing to sacrifice that for to chase um to chase an emotional high you know Mm. to chase the validation it's it's really interesting to me nikki to hear you describe how you were feeling during that relationship because it brings to mind uh in my world being you know in love or infatuation with well in my case it turned out to be a scammer but someone i didn't know but someone that i had projected my relationship with that was going to be my future and you know of course my husband my first husband had passed away so i didn't have anybody um, in competition with this guy but essentially you were you were being duped you were being scammed by a guy in person who was doing everything that my scammer did you know but he was here in person and when you call him on it then then they get angry and then they you know like they said they ghosted you but then they come back and it's this back and forth and it's just it's emotional trauma and it's yeah. tough I'm thinking of how how did your husband well did he ever find out about this obviously he knows now but how did you reconcile that relationship with your marriage I would say one of the biggest things is that he has a very healthy relationship to himself like he learned how to emotionally regulate through his healthy um, childhood so for him it was easy to see the diamond in the rough like he valued me for that he did not see the actions that i took as something against him right like it didn't feel like a betrayal against him yes he was upset of course and i asked him i i asked him before i um i said i'm going to share my story with with debbie's radio show like i'm going to put it in my bio um from now on and i said are you okay with me mentioning this because it is an act of betrayal it's like people are going to wonder like why are you still with somebody who cheated on you or had an emotional affair all of those things and i even going through my trauma i had asked him did i traumatize you do you carry trauma in your childhood um from your father from your biological father not being there and he was like no and i and I said why did you forgive me like are you sure you forgave me like I didn't trust that he forgave me because he never brought it up ever again he was just like it's okay like I I understand and and he never brought it up again and so I asked him I said why don't you want to talk about it why don't you want to ask me like um what happened like aren't you curious what happened uh and he said there's no point in re-triggering the past the past is the past like i see you for who you are and everybody makes mistakes and there was a moment in my relationship um that was very recent actually where i um after i found my deep connection to spirituality I was like I don't know if I want to be in this relationship because I feel like my path is is differing from yours. And that moment he 
he said, I'm all, um, I want you to be happy. So I'm willing to, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. He said, I'm willing to let you go because I want you to be happy. But I will always be here for you. And he's like, this, because I know this is what I want. And I realized at that moment that he chose me unconditionally. And I, I knew in that moment, I, I was firm with my decision for like a week. But in that moment, he decided that he was going to shift his life that he did not want to be in his dead-end job either. And he wanted to raise a family together. And he took me out on dates. We spent time together. We It, like, reignited the passion in, our, in the bedroom, too. Like, he has never wanted me more. And I say this now because we sacrifice so much of ourselves in our relationships that we think we can't stand up and choose the best direction. But when you grow as a person, your partner grows with you. And for me to take a stand and say, I'm going to choose me, he stood and he said, well, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to choose my future with you and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to pursue my passion, whatever that is. That's very powerful on both your parts. And I'm thinking the word that came to me to describe him is kind. He just sounds like a kind, generous, understanding fellow. Um, And as far as opening up about the story, I think as you tell it, it will, for me, telling stories about vulnerability is very powerful from the inside out. And the vulnerability makes you so much more of a magnet to others that are going through the same thing. And because initially when I was looking, I was listening to some of the things that you've done and I, I had to laugh because I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so young. They've been in this relationship for relatively a short period of time, even though for you 11 years or however is a long period of time. Now I was looking at being married for 26 years and then now being <laughs> married again for another seven, um, and my parents being together for 65 years, um, there's longevity. But you've lived a lot of things in a short period of time. And to identify the things that you needed and express them uh, and then go through the emotional you know, ties to somebody else, that's tough. And it's tough for him too. I mean, I survived a, an indiscretion uh, on my husband's part and I didn't know about it so I was the last one to find out and for me the scam triggered that emotion again because I'm like oh my gosh now I'm part of something um, but, and, and a confession was really hurtful and I, I questioned myself I questioned was I not a good enough wife was I not good enough at this um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it wasn't my fault, you know. Um, but I learned how to be better, maybe a better wife, a better person, um, 
of course, I had four children too, so there was a lot going on in my life. But it <laughs> makes you understand your relationship a little bit better when there's something like that. You don't, obviously, you don't go seeking that. You don't want to threaten a relationship. Uh, but because it happened and you can't change what happened, you can change how you're feeling about those things. And I'm really glad that you guys embraced, you know, choosing each other and moving forward because you've since then had a baby. And having a baby changes a relationship. You know, now you've taken on a role as mom. And as, oh, yeah. as I found out in interviewing my parents, uh, and my, talking to my daughter, who's a mama too, she goes, isn't it amazing that we go from being single to young marrieds to having children, and all of a sudden, you don't have a life outside of being a parent. And as the kids grow up, we don't look back at our parents thinking, well, they had a life outside of being mom or dad. And we can't forget our lives outside of being parents. So how are you now creating a life with a child, but keeping the love strong in your marriage and now moving out and spreading this as a coach? How are you working all those different things at the same time and not losing yourself? Oh, my goodness. Thank you for this question because it's, it's beautiful. Um, what truly shifted was I put my, my values are now aligned. Like I know where my values are, what's really, truly important for me. And I live life based on those values. So I used to hustle for the money. And now I don't. Now, in the morning, I wake up, I go to the gym, you know, I take care of my body. Um, Then in the afternoon, I'd eat lunch with my husband, I'd spend time with my son. And then I focus on work. Um, And then in the evenings, I go back and I spend time with my husband and my son. And on the weekends or, you know, certain days because of the time freedom that I've created, I'll I'll go out um, to a nice restaurant like, or hang out with my friends. Stepping into your power and not being afraid to do that because the right people will choose you. The right people will always choose you. Yeah. And, and, and that's something. And you need to choose the right people to be around you, the right people for you. Because so many times we, we hold on to relationships that really aren't good for us anymore just because it, they've been around you for such a long time. And, and I've found I've lost friends in the last few years uh, because I've grown, because I've changed direction, and I've moved forward in a direction that's good for me. It might not have been good for them. And losing... Oh, old friends, quote unquote, um, that's difficult for me because I always want, you know, to, to pull them back, to come back and, and have it the way it was. And it's like, it's not good for you to do that. So you have to kind of like, okay, reason, you know, you're here for a season and for a reason. And now we've all moved on. And then you put really great people around you, right? You, you bring better people around you. And that's what's cool. So you have a summit coming up because our hour is flying by. You have some, uh, a thing coming up soon. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Tell my audience about it. And how did you select the people? You have quite an array of, of people that are going to be speaking in your summit. Can you kind of tell us about that and how you put it together? Yes. So the summit comes from the heart. 
it comes from me knowing that everybody here deserves to have incredible love in their life and um, not letting certain things stop, you know, to stop that. The fears, the limiting beliefs, the patterns, it does not define who you are and who you get to love in the future and who gets to love the incredible parts of you. So I've reached out to some of the biggest uh, people in the industry, some of the people that I follow, that I admire, and for them to share their specialty. For example, creating love in 90 days, understanding um, the psychology of men, how to get and keep your relationship. Um, we have topics in uh, creating sexual intimacy, better connection, energy healing even, right? Like how you can take how these speakers have created amazing, incredible love in their life and transform that and take that with you to create incredible love in your life. And I'm excited because, Debbie, your, uh, your interview is in there too. <laughs> How can people sign up for the summit? How long is it going to be? Kind of the format. And then your last words for how can we find love in all the right places? Yes, thank you. So you can connect with me through my summit at manifestincrediblelove.com or my main platform. Reach out to me um, on Instagram. It's Nikki.who. And how can we create love in our life in all the right places is understanding you everything that you desire and it's a hell yes to that's what you follow and those yeses are going to lead you to find love in all the right places okay we're going to say yes in my in my life in my work with internet love uh, be careful. Beware and be aware. Uh, Nikki, thank you so much for being my guest today. But uh, I love what you're doing. I love the experiences that you've had and that you're going to put yourself out to the world in a, in a great way in your summit coming up uh, in April. So I'll put this out to them. Thank, I want to thank your husband for supporting you and telling your story. It's really important to stand up and speak up and not be the woman behind the smile. And I lo- like I said, I love your picture. I was looking at it the whole time. And you bring joy um, to me today. And I just wish you and your family the very, very best. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, 
Check out our Benfotemian products at benfocomplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day. 